Hey, dear listener, just before we get to today's episode with Mike Sweet on accelerating your career success, I want to highlight that Mike's company, Nimbly Wise, which we'll be talking about during the show, is currently granting free access to the real-time learning assessment as well as free 30-minute consultations with Mike himself. The assessment measures your aptitude in six domains of professional capability, such as how well you can see the big picture within your organization, and how eagerly you create experiments to test new and potentially better ways of working. I've taken the assessment and debriefed myself and found the experience really valuable. This message, I should add, is not a paid endorsement by Nimbly Wise, but just my own personal backing of Mike's work, which I feel is very much in alignment with our show's mission of helping young professionals grow in their careers. So to learn more and to take the assessment for yourself, go to nimblywise.com forward slash assessment. The free consultations are available until the end of June, 2021. Okay, let's get on with the show with Mike Sweet. Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. And today we are talking about accelerating your career success with our special guest, Mike Sweet. Mike is the CEO and founder of Nimbly Wise Incorporated with deep expertise in scaling technology-related businesses, culture building, and business growth strategies. Inspired to create Nimbly Wise after discussions with numerous CEOs who outlined various skill gaps in their young professionals, Mike leveraged his passion for development to create a program to upgrade the adaptability, initiative-taking, and execution skills of young professionals through a state-of-the-art e-learning and coaching program. Prior to Nimbly Wise, Mike was the CEO of Credo Reference, a SaaS business serving thousands of libraries worldwide, and he's also an angel investor and advises a variety of startups and growth companies in formal and informal ways. Mike is joining us from Natick, Massachusetts, near Boston. Welcome to the Career Builders Podcast, Mike Sweet. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Awesome. The uh, location you're joining us from, your last name, for any of our dear listeners that are following this very closely, you might have remembered a Jessica Sweet who was on our show not all that long ago. And Mike, you are Jessica's husband. So we're, it's a family affair this week on the Career Builders Podcast. Nice to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Can you share a little bit more about your career story to date? Yeah, sure. So um, I've had a number of different uh, roles and jobs. Um, I'll, I'll go all the way back to when I was in college. I um, worked with a nonprofit focused on social responsibility, and that was a great experience. I, I had a great mentor there that gave me a lot of advice and, and a lot of encouragement. Um, and one of the things that I took away from that experience was, you know, a real passion for building sustainable businesses in ways that serve all stakeholders and in, in a really balanced way. Um, and I, but at the same time, I hoped that I would go out and, and um, get to move beyond the nonprofit sector and, and to work with some really great investors and business leaders um, as I moved along in my career. Um, and so, you know, after, a, after quite a number of years working in consulting right out of school, um, I got into the startup world and, and joined a company that had great investors who were very socially minded, who were very um, oriented towards building value in their business, but also really how they could serve their suppliers, their customers, and their employees in a really in a really great way. And so that was just awesome experience. They gave me a lot of uh, trust and opportunity. And so, you know, about 2008, about 10 years after I'd graduated from college, I had the opportunity to run one of the businesses that they were involved in, and that was uh, Credo Reference. And uh, that, that was a great run. I ran that business for 10 years and got to grow it from a small business to a medium business or a small to medium sized business of about 70 people. And uh, we ultimately sold that in 2018. Cool. Very cool. I love your point. And honestly, it's a topic that could probably become a new episode for our show, just around the idea of businesses being built uh, on an idea of, of sustainability and creating value for the long term, because we're definitely seeing a pattern of uh, tech startup companies that are kind of there and they exist and they scale and then they sell and then they change. And then uh, it's not as sustainable. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, totally. I mean, 
it's fun to see, you know, what I was involved in 25 years ago now or 20, 20 years ago, really coming to the fore. There are a lot of businesses, though, that are looking at social problems and looking mm -hmm. at how we can use technology and capital to solve really important and meaningful problems. And I, I think the next decade is going to be a lot more of that with big data and AI. And uh, it's exciting to be a part of that, a small part of that. Cool. Sweet. Very exciting. And we might get into more of that. You never know. Um, what would you say, so going to the work that you do here with Nimbly Wise, what are some of the challenges that young people or new employees face when they're getting started in a new professional environment? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge transition. I mean, it, it's one of the biggest life transitions from college to career. And we usually talk about it as the going from playing the game of checkers to game, playing the game of chess. And so it's going from what I would describe as a pretty reactionary kind of game where you just go from one level to the next, where a lot of um, what's expected of you is made very clear in school. And you can kind of know if you perform or do certain things in a certain way, how it will unfold. And you get clear feedback every few weeks from your professors, you get to go to the next semester or the next grade. And so that's a very highly structured world for people. And you contrast that with going into the world of work, which has all sorts of new rules, all sorts of new expectations. And we don't do a great job in school of making those expectations clear and preparing for people for that transition. And I think that's a really hard one. And I think companies can do better. I think school can do better. And that's where we're, where we're focused as our business. Um, some, some of the very specific things that people struggle with, one of the biggest things we hear about is just having realistic career expectations. You get out, you're expecting that, hey, I'm doing a good job. Why am I not moving ahead faster? And, you know, that's perfectly reasonable, but there, there are usually reasons for that. Mm -hmm. And you need to, you know, we need to help both sides understand um, how to meet in the middle on that. I can think of my own experience and that rings true for me. Absolutely. Going from the university setting where, like you said, as soon as you started talking about checkers and chess, I was thinking of the rules of the game basically and how the rules of the game change so much between that schooling to this whole unknown world where there's so like politics is now a thing that you never thought about before. Um, so that's a really great way of, of framing it. How do these challenges affect the experiences of new employees um, and some of their performance in the first few months? Yeah, so there, there's just so many things, right? So one of it, it's confidence, right? You come, a lot of students, especially those who have done well, have a high level of confidence. They've been like, look, I'm mastering this. I know how to get an A. I know how to advance to the next grade. I know how to complete a degree. So I think a lot of young professionals come out and, and they're expecting that, that they're going to continue that right in the same way. And so all of a sudden this can be a huge shock to their confidence, a huge hit to that. And that can really uh, be a pretty big impact as they not only start out in the first few months, but then as they advance along they're, they're, that can set them one way or another, depending on their manager, depending on the company they go into, depending on the, the culture of the business, there's just so much there that is foreign to them. You mentioned politics, right? They don't know how to play that game. They don't know why managers might be fighting across the business and why they might be caught in the middle. They, they just don't have any of that mm -hmm. context to react to. So we just have to be really supportive of people as they make that transition and very intentional. And the reality is that you know, decades ago, a couple decades ago, people were, they came in to somewhat routine work that was highly structured. They could sort of get their feet wet, learn the culture, learn the ropes. They'd probably get bored in their role before they got overly challenged. And now they're expected to come in, hit the ground running, you know, see the big picture and perform at high levels. And, and that's, a, that's a high bar for people to reach. Yeah, totally. I, it, it's very, it's a big striking difference going from school to work for all the reasons you just mentioned. And I want to actually just kind of underline the point you made right at the start of that, where you said, what I heard was basically, as you start your career, you can either be going on a path that 
takes advantage of your skill set, allows you to grow, allows you to flourish, be surrounded by people who are leading you in a really healthy way. Or you could be somewhere else and maybe going down a path that is not allowing you to actually be the best that you can be and how that compounds over time to either end up with you having a career that really is satisfying and fulfilling and all of sort of the big picture things we talk about or not. So like, to me, that's kind of what's at stake here, which is a lot. Exactly. Right. I mean, you need to follow, you know, it's, it's, a, we always talk about it when it was my last business, we'd always look at, well, what's, what's this person passionate about? What are they good at? And what does the company need? And mm-hmm. how can we keep those three things in balance so that we really drive engagement and inclusivity of as, of as much of our talent as possible? And so, yeah, if you find an environment that isn't fulfilling you, that you're not clear on how you fit in and how you're going to be able to use your full potential, that can be demotivating. It can cause mm-hmm. disengagement and it can cause people to want to move to another company faster rather than perhaps figuring out how to help manage that situation in a way that does speak to them more and does fully engage them and where they can advance and build uh, confidence and be successful. And Mike, you kind of alluded to this, but are there longer term challenges that people face? Like if you don't get that successful start, we'll call it, because we're talking about success in this episode. If you get a start that's not quite as well-structured or it doesn't give you that same jumping off point, do you see this having a longer-term impact on people's careers? Absolutely. So if you come out and you get a few wins and you feel some confidence and people recognize you as a high-potential employee, it's like the same thing that happened in school. If you're funneled off and you're said, oh, you're a top student, it becomes a reinforcing or a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so that kind of confidence, that kind of, it snowballs, right? And vice versa, if you go in and you're sort of overwhelmed and you don't really know how to get your bearings and you don't know how to navigate this new world, people will say, okay, well, you know, you're, you're going to be kind of a role player and, mm-hmm. and sort of that's, that's a big difference. And so I really believe that when we work with people at this vulnerable stage, we can really connect with them in a way that can unlock, better unlock the potential of everybody. We can give them a more even playing field for that so that they can live into their potential so that they, they don't get sort of funneled off one way or the other, right? Because companies are about making money. They're going to look at where the ta- their perception of talent is, and they're going to invest in that talent. They're going to want to grow that talent. And we want to make sure that as many people as possible can get that investment and that support to, to reach their full potential. Hmm. I love you mentioned this just a little bit, and maybe to just sort of add one more nuance to what's already a pretty cool discussion. Um, Malcolm Gladwell, Gladwell wrote among many of his books, one of them outliers talking about how elite hockey players, a lot of them are sort of disproportionately coming from the folks who were born in the first three months of the year. And they would go on to become the people who were the, the oldest of their cohort would go on to receive um, the best opportunities, be part of the best teams, receive the best coaching, travel to the best tournaments and develop eventually into the better players. And it meant that the other, you know, three quarters of people who were not born in those early months of the year, just that's how hockey's structured, would not benefit from those same kinds of opportunities. So I'm hearing that there's also sort of like a, how do we make the world a little bit more equitable in terms of this creating this opportunity for people to get the most out of themselves, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I mean, that, that research is so fascinating and so stunning to all of us. Like we read it and we're like, what? Like at, at five years old, three months, four months development is a huge advantage, right? Five years old, you've only been alive for 60 months. If you're three, four or six months ahead, you're 10% ahead, right? Mm -hmm. And that can be, you can be an inch or two taller, five pounds heavier. And if we know this about Canada, right? And the way the leagues work, that that can then really accelerate your success in hockey and then lead to disproportionality in the NHL uh, success at the end of the day. And it's exactly the same thing, right? So we've spent a lot of time in the world trying to make access to education, especially higher education, um, we've tried to make that more equitable. We've tried to make that in a way that people with non-traditional backgrounds are getting access to higher education at, at, a, at a better rate 
And now we've also invested to make sure there's services to make sure that they succeed at an equal rate or closer to an equal rate, because that's the next step. And now we're investing a lot of money to make sure they get access to good first jobs, because we know that's so critical, uh, critically important when they graduate. And we're kind of a lot of lobbying now. Well, now we need to make sure we're leveling the playing field once they're in the world of work, because those, those disadvantages don't stop once you get access, right? Yeah. They didn't stop when you got access to a higher education institution. And, and we need to do the same thing when you're getting access to a good first paying job, or we'll end up with the same kind of challenges where people from more traditional backgrounds with more social capital are, are succeeding at more at higher rates. And that's not what we want. And so that's, that's a big part of our philosophy of what we're doing. Could you weigh in a little bit, Mike, on what organizations might be able to do on their end to better integrate their emerging talent? Yeah, I think the first thing is empathy, right? I think they need to really put themselves back to what it was like in this transition, right? It's easy when we're 10, 20 years into our career to forget how hard that moment was, right? How far, how vulnerable we felt, how uncertain. And it's easy to gloss over all the ways that it was confusing and new to us. So I think, I think that's one thing. Number two, I think making sure that and this is really hard. Like I understand what it is like to drive results in a business. So I, I don't want to underestimate this and, and overly simplify it, but making the environment feel, feel safe to be vulnerable, to, to take risks, to experiment and fail. Like that's really important, but really hard. Like, and I think even though companies talk about wanting to do that, it, the pressure of the day can, can sort of overwhelm that instinct to want to do that. Right. So mm -hmm. we, the both, one of the things we do with young people is try to make people or them aware that that's, even though that might be the instinct and the desire of the company, that they're going to fall short of that sometimes. And in the pressure of getting business results, um, I think mentoring programs are wonderful. I think when they're well-designed, providing a mentor to show the ropes, to support in those early stages is really powerful. I think coaching is better. I think external coaching is better because I think, even in a mentorship environment, especially with an internal mentor, you're not going to be as likely to, to open up fully, to expose yeah. things that you're really struggling with. So I think an external coach is so powerful to really meet the person where they're at in their development and to allow them to feel like, you know, if you're confused about, I've had people say to me, I don't really even understand how this business makes money, right? Yeah. So would you ever tell your employ anybody in your company that you didn't really understand that or that you don't really even understand how you're connected to value creation in the business how you impact either making more money or cutting costs like you don't really understand you you see yourself as in a silo just kind of executing whatever you've been tasked with so that's why i think coaching is even better than mentorship in a lot of environments um, and it takes a lot to make a great mentoring program so those are some of the things i'd recommend Having seen things from the manager's point of view, there are so many other factors that can play into not having that supportive environment. And I think it's important for young people or people who are new to the workforce to understand some of those challenges as well. So from the employer perspective, what are some of the challenges that they face in creating that supportive environment? Yeah, it's a great point. I am glad you picked up on that. The so you can look at it from two different levels. You can look at it like the highest level as the employer, okay? Uh, the company, the CEO, right? So there, at that level, there's all these questions about sustainability of their business model. How, you know, there's pressure, right? This is real. This isn't made up. Like people, we, we often think like these big monolithic machines that make money, these businesses, they just kind of have their own inertia. Like, no, like the lights don't come on in the morning. The coffee doesn't just pour, you know, make itself into the pot. Like there is real pressure. And in this environment, the world today, the disruption and the pace of change, the, the competitors that can come at all different shapes and sizes are, are real, right? So the, this is like what all of us that lead businesses are worried about. We're, we're sitting here saying like, how are we gonna make sure our business model is viable when this new disruption comes in? So, so that's, that pressure cascades down um, to everybody that works in the business, you know, indirectly or directly. 
Secondarily, another big thing that younger professionals aren't aware of is the way that the company is structured from a financial point of view. Who owns the business, right? Is this owned by private equity, people who are looking to grow this business a little bit and quickly sell it to another mm -hmm. buyer. That, that creates all sorts of motivations and, and realities and constraints and, and things inside the business that limit, say, creating that nurturing, supportive environment that we'd really like. And then from a manager's point of view, the manager, well, they are like kind of definitely more experienced. They're facing the same kinds of uncertainties and pressures that a young professional is facing. They don't know what's coming next. They, they're trying to figure out how to add value and, and move to where the business needs them to be. And so they're under the same pressure, unlike, let's say, a teacher, right? A professor has a pretty structured, you know, I know COVID aside, that's created a lot of disruption in higher education, but they have a pretty formulaic way that they go about their lives. They show up, they, they teach, they teach something relatively similar to what they've taught before. And yet a manager deals with all sorts of unidentified flying objects, all sorts of new things that pop in that they have to adapt to. So this idea that they have a lot of power and control and they can just sort of, they should be nicer or more supportive. They're dealing with a lot of the same anxiety and stress and I think it's harder for young people to realize or, or acknowledge that um, because they sort of have used to seeing people in hierarchy as having all the answers and all mm -hmm. the power and that they, they can just sort of do what they want. That, that is not what managers and businesses experience. I have a follow-up question to that around the different types of businesses. Cause you mentioned, you know, big monolithic companies that have those sort of bigger structures. And then we've also talked about startups. Do you see a big difference between those two types of companies in, in how they approach this? It's a great question. I think there's a lot of pressure in both env environments. There is more inertia in bigger environments because like the business has bigger customer base, they have more established products, they've been around for a lot longer. But at the same time, perhaps the stakes are even higher as, as they face disruption, right? Now they have a lot, mm -hmm. uh, a lot to lose, so to speak. I think more and more, there's a lot of similarities. There's ex expectation of continuous innovation. There's expectation of figuring out how to add new value. There's, there's pressure coming from a lot of different places. Um, I think sometimes the bigger companies can be more political. There can be more emphasis on protecting turf and thinking that you're somehow winning by just you know controlling more resources rather than just truly adding more value whereas in a startup it's very clear if we're not moving the needle and you're not part of that in terms of the business success it becomes more visible more quickly often mm -hmm. and sort of there's less room for politics and posturing um, but but I think there's still a lot of pressure in, in all environments and I think that's the part that maybe some young professionals don't feel or don't understand as well, where that comes from, that that's a reality because they're feeling so vulnerable and unsure. It's hard to realize that that pervades the entire business. Yeah. For sure. And so my second point there was just sort of to close that off in that this is a great way of framing the fact that employees and new employees are sort of given permission to take their own ownership, which I think we're gonna get into with some of our next questions. Yeah. Cool, very exciting. Let's talk about, so yeah, speaking of all of this and a little bit more about your company, Nimbly Wise. So you help young professionals integrate faster into their workplace. How exactly would you say you go about doing that? Yeah, so we pick up basically where onboarding onboarding typically stops, right? So onboarding, maybe the first 30, 60, 90 days, if you're lucky, you have a good sort of training program to, to sort of understand your role, understand the business, understand the culture a bit. But we basically pick up at that point. We want to pick up after you have some familiarity, maybe after you're through the honeymoon phase of the business, 
And we want to really meet you wherever you're at. So we want to connect with you, understand where you're struggling. Is it a relationship with your manager? Is it understanding how growth is going to work in the business? Is it understanding how to present ideas in a way that others might be receptive to them and can act on them? Whatever you're challenged with, right? We, we don't make any assumptions that every young professional is challenged by the same thing in this transition. And we assume that every employee faces a different you know, context in terms of their manager, the company culture, the, the industry that they're in. So there's just a lot that they need to learn in that. So our first thing is making a connection with them. Then the second thing is helping affect or impact a mindset shift. So going from thinking about playing the game as checkers to more chess, thinking about strategy and thinking about how do you pick your head up and start to get a bigger picture of the organization, take more ownership of your career, right? Think about how am I gonna do that? Rather than the company is gonna give me career pathways and make it clear and give me clear guidance on timelines and promotions and how all that works and getting feedback. We really try to help people develop what we call a real-time learning mindset, a mindset that it's on them to go and investigate these things, explore these things, and try to piece together this puzzle, this Rubik's cube, if mm. you will, so that they can really meet their own career goals and be more successful in that environment. Sounds like a mini MBA. You know, it, it is, we, we really do try to, the, the way it's structured is we, it's a six month program. It has an e-learning component, but the real richness is in the group workshops where we're bringing together young professionals, exploring this concept of real-time learning helping them understand why it's important and then exposing them to the habits that we think are essential to your ability to learn in real time. And then once you've kind of got that grounding through the group workshops, we're then giving you an individual coach that really helps make sure that's solidified and that you can grow and develop and practice this building, this muscle experiment with it, take, take a, um, take different learning opportunities, whatever you're challenged by, wherever you are in your role, we wanna meet you right there and help you see how real-time learning can be applied. And over time through that coaching, we wanna make sure that you're building that muscle so that you can transfer that and use that as you grow further along in your career. Hmm. Wow. It's fascinating. And you hear a lot about um, how executive coaching, coaching for C-suite folks or upper management, people who are just outside of the C-suite, that's been kind of a mainstream idea now for a, a relatively longer period of time. I don't know if it's 10 or 20 years, it's somewhere in there, but this is kind of one of the first things that I've heard of that really gets young people starting out like the same kind of, well, not same but a level of guidance that they need that maybe all professionals need is kind of what I'm feeling. Yeah. I, I really believe we all do. I, I continue to have peer coaches. I've mm -hmm. used uh, external coaches. I've used them when I was running a company, when I was in a senior role. Uh, I think that all of us need this um, some form of coaching. I think it's just so valuable. I think we get in our own heads. We get in our own way. We think we're the only person that's ever faced some of these challenges. We think our situation is so unique and that's just not true, right? Like, and there are answers out there. There is support out there. And I think that companies would be wise to invest in trained coaches like we provide so that they get that kind of uh, really strong coaching support and we see that that can have trust, such an impact on their performance, their engagement levels, and ultimately their retention, right? Because if somebody can navigate how to advance their career interests inside of the organization, rather than what often happens, thinking they must go outside and move to another company to move ahead, mm. that's nobody wins, or certainly the company doesn't win in that equation. And it costs them a lot of money, especially when there's so much value in having institutional knowledge and understanding of a business, you lose that the moment somebody walks out the door. That's a great point. I'm, I'm curious to know, hypothetical situation here, Mike, I'm back in my early twenties, right? I blink and magically I've, I've shed 10 years or something and what a dream. No, uh, knowing what I know now would be great, but back then I was pretty lost and I think your program would have been really appropriate for me. So let's just say that I am 
coming into my first professional experience and I'm trying to figure out how I can make the most of my, this role that I'm in, this entry-level role, what are some of the things that I might be starting to think about uh, thanks to, I might be starting to think about thanks to this program? Yeah, great. So one is we like to frame a lot of these challenges and things you're confused by as you make your entry into the world of work as learning moments. Mm -hmm. And that they're completely normal, right? We all we want to pretend that somehow at some point we've mastered life, mastered career, we have all the skills, everything we see, we've seen before, and we're comfortable and we can just do it expertly. It just isn't gonna happen, right? Like that's just not the way it is. And so what happens when we have that expectation of ourselves is we get nervous when we're in those learning moments, right? We're mm -hmm. like, oh, geez, like we don't want, we're like, wow, I feel vulnerable. I feel exposed. So just kind of normalizing that, normalizing that the uncertainty and the confusion that you have is unfortunately what you're, it's normal, but unfortunately you're going to stay there, right? And no matter what it is, as you move up first time manager, you're going to be um, challenged by that. And you're going to be in those situations where you're just not sure what to do. And so, the other side of it is don't wait until you find the perfect answer to move forward, to move forward with a little bit of, of inf further information gathering. How can I go out, try something to kind of move me a little bit forward rather than hang out and wait till I have the perfect answer? Because that perfect answer is probably not going to come to you. And so we don't tell people, oh, here's how you should exactly should talk to your manager that you're having trouble communicating with. We encourage you to explore different perspectives on other people's experience working with their manager. Every manager is different. Some like direct communication, some like subtlety, some like email preparation, some like you to kind of catch them at the end of the day. Some would shoot you if you come in at the end of the day because they want to leave, right? So there's there's like, you have to figure that out. That's, that's a navigating. So we're going to help you through that. Um, I think that another like huge outcome of this program that people are um, kind of benefiting from is like one of the concepts that many of us don't learn for a while is like how to manage up. Like mm -hmm. the idea of managing up, like it's so foreign. Like as school, it was like, no, well, I'm going to manage up. Like the professor, the teacher, they tell me what to do. They give me my assignments. They give me feedback. We just keep going through this sort of um dance together. It's very, very sort of predictable and clear, but managing up, like, how do I understand what's important to my manager? How do I understand what they're worried about? What she's worried about the pressure that she or he is under? Like, this is really so new, right? And you don't know how to probe for this. You don't know, you don't like, you don't even know where to start, right? You don't mm -hmm. know, you've never been in their role. So how do you know what it would, what it would be like to be in their role? So as our coaches kind of just continue to help somebody develop that situational awareness, lean into that uncertainty so that they can start to meet, sort of mirror their behavior, mirror their activities to better align with what's important to their manager that's a whole new ball game. That's a whole mm -hmm. new skill set. And that's not something that we develop in an afternoon session. We're like, Oh, here's managing up now go do it. Right. That's a, that's a lot of work. And in fact, a great article just came out from IBM showing that it used to take a couple of days to train on a lot of the skills that were missing in young professionals because they were technical in nature. Now it can take 11 times as long because this kind of a skill is very personal, very like very kind of challenging. It needs practice, it needs reassurance, it needs support. And that's very different than learning a, a technical skill that you go on to apply. And also just having the permission to do that. Like a lot of times when you're in that role for the first time, you think, am I supposed to be doing this? Am I supposed to be managing my manager? What if I'm doing this wrong? So it, that makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it, right? We're sort of trying to help. Oftentimes we talk about unpacking for a young professional, like what's about their skills that they need to grow with. What's about their unique manager and, and the good or bad or the things that they might not do so well. And we can offer that perspective, having seen a lot of manager employee dynamics and what's unique to the culture and the company. Like, okay, this is just that company. That's the way it is. It's a very old guard company, or it's a very, 
um, sort of innovative, flat organization. Those make a huge difference to how you approach that. And I think it's unwise to tell somebody to just like go watch a video and now you'll know how to do that. That that's that's there's a lot of subtlety there. Yeah, that that seems a little bit short-sighted. So I, I appreciate the fact that there is a lot of nuance and complexity. And yeah, just again, I the problem you just described of like, you know, how do I manage how do I boss my boss? That was what was being said in the organization that I started my career in. It took me seven or eight years before I really had some real feel for it. And wish I could have had that figured out a lot sooner. So I, I can empathize with those folks who could really benefit from this. So is there anything else that you'd want to add in terms of helping our dear listener understand the concept of real-time learning? Yeah, I think sometimes maybe it's really easy to grasp what real-time learning is when we think about it in terms of real-time versus traditional learning. So in traditional learning, we're waiting for somebody to tell us when we're in that learning moment. Hey, we're now in a new course at school. Here's what we're gonna learn. And then we're waiting for them to tell us how we're gonna learn it. Here's the syllabus. Here's the textbook. Here's when we're gonna be tested on it. Here's all of the structure that you can expect and manage and, and you can organize your work. And so there's a lot of clarity and, and sort of um, intentionality that you can expect from that. But then in real-time learning, you have to accept, no, 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 I've got to be on offense. I've got to be looking for those moments that are where I'm not really sure what the heck's going on. Mm. And then I've got to be developing my own scaffold plan for how I'm going to investigate that, how I'm going to run this, this question that I have to the ground, right? Am I going to go out and ask my colleagues for more information so I can un understand it better? Am I going to run an experiment of some sort, right? Am I going to try something and see how it works? You know, sometimes young professionals have said to us like, hey, I'm not a scientist. I don't run experiments. And, you know, we have to say, no, no, no. Everybody's a scientist in that sense. We're all running experiments. We're all trying to gather more information and fill in um, our, our picture, our puzzle that's incomplete about what to do and how to move forward. The other way that real-time learning and traditional learning are different is traditional learning. Somebody else tells you what skills you need to learn in a, in a work environment. Whereas a real-time learner, can begin to understand and, and anticipate what's coming, right? So they're more mm -hmm. aware of industry trends. They're thinking about occupations and what skills are becoming more important. And they're, they're advancing their learning agenda in, you know, in conjunction with the company. I mean, sometimes independent, right? They recognize the company isn't doing a lot of learning and development for them. So they have to take more ownership of that. Mm -hmm. And the, and the third way that a real-time learner is different is that they're able, when they face uh, failed experiments, when they try something and it doesn't work out, they dust themselves off. They recognize that as just a normal part of the learning process. They don't see it as a moral failing, as some larger thing. They just see it as like, you know what? That's just what happens here, right? We, we try something, we learn from it, and through resilience, we pick ourselves back up. And that going back to the beginning of this conversation is where the coach and the support and come together because when you're inexperienced in failing, perhaps mm -hmm. you need a lot of support to try again, right? Yep. You need that, that confidence that, that re the, that reboots you to go out and give it another shot. And that's where it can be so dangerous. If people go and try, you know, they're told to ask questions, right? And then they go and ask a question and they get blown off. It's happened to so everybody, right? Guess how often you're going to do that if your first three experiments of asking questions in your new work environment result in you getting blown off. Not many people are going to fight back through that. They're going to be like, all right, you know, I, I've told that this is a place of asking questions and no, there's no stupid questions. But every time I do it, I, get, I feel insecure. I, I don't get... Um, you know, supported. So we, we want them to sort of then continue to fight through that, to, to try new techniques so that they don't lose their confidence in that process. So that's a big part of, of the sort of growth mindset that it takes to really be a real-time learner and to, you know, continue to work on these challenges. Is there a big component of reflection in this? 
That's a huge, huge, huge piece of it, right? So reflecting on your own skills, reflecting on your interactions with people, reflecting on gaps that you know about yourself and, and just stepping back, right? So much of this is about stepping back, looking at this sort of like not personally, right? Like just impersonally coming back and saying, okay, it's not about me, right? We're all actors in this game. And like, what is the dynamic going on here, right? Like, am I, some young professionals get frustrated when their manager doesn't respond in five minutes to something that's important to them, right? That's a normal thing. They're, they're like, look, you asked me to do this thing I'm asking for help and you're not responding to me. That's really frustrating. But stepping back, looking at it from the manager's perspective, you know, understanding that it's not most often not personal. I'm not going to say mm -hmm. it's never personal, but a lot of times it's not. You know, we've had people be frustrated that like my manager's blowing off my one-on-ones. We they say it's important but they're blowing it off does that mean I'm about to get fired? Does that mean I'm not doing a good job? Am I not worth investing in? But when you raise to somebody like, like, do you know it's budget time at your company? Do you know what pressure that might bring to your manager and how distracted they are? And they might be fighting to keep your position in the business and trying to find all sorts of ways to do, creative ways to do that. And you know, obviously they're not going to be able to share that with you most likely. And so they could be distracted by that, but you interpret it as you're not a priority for them. And so, yes, reflection is a huge component and depersonalization as well. Awesome. So obviously the ideal world would be that every company would have this integrated into their world for people who are in a new company who maybe don't have access to your services, do you have any advice for people? Yeah, well, we do offer an individual program. They can come to our website and certainly we'd be like excited to coach them. We're also realistic that young professionals uh, are dealing with lots of pressure around budgets and managing their finances for the first time. And that's not always achievable or attainable. So, you know, we, we would, um, We'd love to do that and whenever appropriate, we would be available to that. But short of that, I think the opportunity to find a support network, find peers, find a sense of community. You know, sometimes young people, all of us wanna only show that we're crushing it in the world, right? Like everything's great. Like I got my degree and now I'm just rocking it in my new job. Like I think creating environments where you can share your vulnerabilities and brainstorm together and find that sense of community is, is one of the first things that, that I would recommend. Number two, I would, I would really look for older mentors, people that have some more experience that are willing to take you under their wing. You know, they, a lot of people that have more experience are eager to give back. And if, if it doesn't look like it's just a needy kind of situation where you're just like, always coming and being a drain, right? Like, but if it's, if it's, it can be a really rewarding thing for, for somebody. So I would really encourage people to look for those, those mentors. I, I think also I would really suggest people stop thinking as if things are above their pay grade. Like I don't need to understand the strategy of the business. I, I'm just sitting here doing my job, you know, wake me up and tell me when it's important for me to pay attention, right? Like that is, that's something I just think is so important. The ways in which the bigger picture impacts all levels of an organization and how at every level you should encourage work to get more complete bigger picture. So whether that's reading the company report or paying extra attention when you have a company meeting or a town hall, reading the strategy documents, all of these things can give you clues that can help you understand why things are certain happening a certain way in the business. So for me, that's one of the biggest things that people can empower themselves with. And even just a little bit can be so impactful in, in understanding the context of the business. Couldn't agree more. I mean, we're talking about putting yourself in the driver's seat of your career, your life, a big part of your life. And it means understanding that there is a car and a road and other people on the road and all of those things can be 
not everything is going to be within your control, but how you drive amongst all of those different things is totally within your control. And I think that's a really empowering thing for people to consider. So thanks for sharing all of that. We have some questions we like to ask of all of our guests that come on the show. And the first one of those is what is the most fun you've had in your career, Mike? So when we were growing really fast at Credo, it was really fun because when you're growing fast, you're getting to hire lots of new people, integrate lots of new people. There's money to spread around to people. There's growth. There's a great growth story. As a startup, your value is of a business is growing. So that makes your investors happy. You're, there's a sense of um, dynamism in the industry you're in. You're sort of a, like, wow, this really new up and coming business, right? Like there, there's a lot that can be really fun. It, it allows people to have more growth opportunities inside of the business. So allowing people to explore their potential and try to find new things where they could be used in the business, that that's just a blast, right? So to me, that's, that's so much fun um, and, and was a really great experience. That sounds like it. You can hear just from the way you talk about it. That sounded amazing. Um, wish I could have been just a fly on the wall back in those days. I'm curious to know, um, a lot of people look at their careers and feel at some point they have to take some kind of a risk to advance what they're doing. What's the biggest risk you've taken in your career and how did that turn out? Yeah. So I think the biggest risk was when I moved from a traditional consulting company. I'd been there maybe seven years or so. I started to have some success and I'd finished my MBA and I wanted to go work in a startup. So I was, I had been consulting to larger businesses and I wanted to get closer to the action. I wanted to get closer to getting my hands dirty where decisions were being made in small businesses. I probably was naive about just the opportunities there and, and what it would look like. And it was a very big difference. And I also saw on that, that the, the investors in the startup that I was going to go to, as I mentioned at the beginning, they were very um, sort of progressive, had some really good ideas about how businesses could be more impactful uh, in the world and, and be more sustainable and, and serve people in a balanced way. And so knowing that I wanted to kind of move in that direction, I gave up a pretty stable high high growth potential uh, role. And I found out, uh, you know, at that point that, you know, I, when sometimes when you're going to leave, that's when companies say you're worth more money, right? And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, now that you actually have a, a job, like, okay, well, actually you're worth this to us. And so that was a, a real a leap of faith at that moment to kind of jump into the startup world, to trust in my heart and to want to be part of something that I could have a little more control over. And so that, that did, it worked out great. I mean, I, I joined one startup working for one CEO and then quickly within a year, I was working part-time at that company as well as another one of the investors portfolio companies. And so I got some real, again, real world trial by fire, some experience of, of being in multiple startups. And it connected me with these investors that I, that I continue to work today with and that are invested in NimbleWise. And so that's just, that's, that has been a great journey. And uh, it, but it was a, it was a very thoughtful decision. Uh, I knew I wanted to have a family at that time. And, mm -hmm. and so to take that risk was, was a, was a big leap, leap of faith. Pretty cool. Uh, yeah, we often have a lot of people who are, um, entrepreneurs, coachpreneurs, solopreneurs, and they talk about the leap from, from going from their career, their corporate job to life as like a independent business person, but to hear your perspective on how over time you went from more of a classic corporate position to the sort of this really neat evolution of something that has really taken on a life of its own. I mean, you've, you've now, this is your own company. Now you are the guy at the top and you're not, it's not just you. Um, so just sort of seeing the long-term evolution of your career throughout, as we've talked about throughout the episode, really, really cool. Thanks. It's fun. Yeah. Amazing. And so uh, second last question we have for you is what is the best piece of career advice that you have ever received? I have had been so lucky to have a lot of mentors, like a lot of people that have really given me a lot of great career advice. So it is hard uh, for me to boil that down to one thing. So I'll share a couple of things. Uh, one, I think early on, I had somebody who said, 
common sense is really valuable. Just asking and exploring the question that mm. goes unexplored that you can never underestimate how much there is there sometimes. So don't ever just think that because you don't understand something, it means that it's really complex. It may mean that it's really simple or miss or not uh, that they just uh, haven't explained it well. And it's important to kind of pursue that to ground and really make sure you understand it. Um, so that that's a really important thing. I had another uh, manager who would always talk about simplifying things and, and sometimes you would call it dumbing it down, right? It's, it's easy to take ideas and especially as a leader, make them overly complicated and not make sure you're really connecting and communicating with people and therefore losing them, right? Like no one wants to sit up and present and talk big language and then everybody walks away and nobody has any idea what you were talking about. So, so that's really true too. I think um, the third piece is the, the power of networks. I mean, finding people, everybody talks about this, but building networks, not when you're just looking for a job, but genuinely cultivating relationships with people, really be interested in them, asking how you can help them and support them and doing that along the way. At this point in my career, I'm just super lucky because I have a lot of people in my networks that I, that my network that I can just go to for almost anything, right? So if I'm solving a business problem, it becomes a question of my Rolodex and that's really valuable because then I don't spin my own wheels trying to reinvent the wheel, so to speak, right? I, I can just go, I can learn from other people's mistakes. I can gather those different perspectives and I can try to um, integrate them into what, what I'm doing and maybe have a better shot of being successful. It doesn't mean it's always works, but it does sometimes short circuit the, the learning curve. Love all of that. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for sharing all of those things. Fantastic pieces of advice. Yes. And so where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Yeah. So come to nimblywise.com. That's a great place to start. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. I'm building my network and, and love to uh, connect with more and more people there. And if that doesn't work, happy to have you reach out via email at mike.sweet at nimblywise.com. Fantastic. It has been such a pleasure having you on the show, Mike. Thank you for taking the time to really dive fairly deeply into some of these different topics that are super relevant, certainly to people who are getting started in their careers. I think there's a sort of a natural audience there, but also people who are trying to figure out, maybe they're a little bit further along and it's like, how do I get more in the driver's seat of my career at this point? Because there's a lot that you shared today that will help them too. So much appreciated. Thank you. My pleasure. You guys are awesome. And I'm really impressed by the great work you're doing. Thank well, you so much. Thank you. That's very kind. We can call it a week at that for the Career Builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Our guest was Mike Sweet. Check out nimblywise.com. We hope you're well, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. Okay. Wasn't that an interesting conversation with Mike? I really enjoyed it and wanted to quickly circle back to Nimbly Wise's free real-time learning assessment that's available to you, dear listener. Again, this is not a paid plug, just something that I recommend you check out. And you can do that at https colon slash slash nimblywise.com slash assessment. That's N-I-M-B-L-Y-W-I-S-E dot com forward slash assessment. You can also find the link to the assessment in our show notes. And as usual, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of TCBP. We hope you're well, and we hope you'll join us again next week. Bye for now.